0: Thank you. Thanks, Tori. Um, So I'm Sandeep. uh, First of all, I think I see the sequencing of these events that Tori put together. I see a grand plan behind the scene of these talks. (laughs) So uh, I'm Sandeep. I'm one of the medical directors at uh, Bioformis. I'm going to be talking about kind of what Kathleen and and some of the others have been uh, focused on a little bit earlier today. Uh, So I'm uh, at Bioformis. Real quick, Bioformis consumes uh, patient information, analyzes that information through FDA-clear algorithms and makes that information actionable so clinicians can act on it and deliver care wherever the patients are. So, let me see if I can figure this out. Yeah, so I'm gonna be talking about, touching on a little bit more deeper dive on what Kathleen just described in terms of the changing care models, right? So, specifically, hospital at home. So, you know, there was a lot of great kind of background on how consumers have different touch points for accessing care from directly consumer-directed care, which is kind of like primary care, And then more on the spectrum of acute care, that's where I'm gonna be focusing on. So if you remember that chart that Kathleen just showed, this is that far left three columns, right? From chronic disease management and delivering acute care into the patient's home. And in order to do that, as Kathleen mentioned, right? We're gonna be focused on specifically the waiver program that Medicare put in place during COVID where you can actually now build programs based on the work that was Done with uh, Dr. Liff and the team at Hopkins that have been doing this for a long time, to make these programs more readily available, CMS created a waiver that allows hospitals to be able to do this for patients. Um, So, what this allows, what the waiver allowed for, was if you had those steps that Kathleen touched on, twice a day nursing visits, supporting for ancillary services in the home the waiver allows you to get reimbursed as if the patients were in your four walls of the hospital. So that's what the waiver program is. So in terms of the business models, nothing changes, right? Except the location of service is in the patient's home, reimbursement, facility fees, everything else stays the same. And this is what happened, right? So 251 hospitals have been granted the waiver program since uh, over the last uh, 18 months or so. That's about 111 hospital systems in 36 states. And obviously, this was due through the public health emer- emergency. So, what? Even though the demand for the programs has been strong, and as Kathleen mentioned, evidence for delivering care safely into the home has been proven to be effective. For example, the study that was done by David Levine and the team at uh, Brigham showed there was a 70% reduction in hospital readmissions, 38% reduction in cost for shifting the cost, uh, the care delivery to the patient's home rather than the hospital. So, even though there's strong evidence, the adoption has been slow and the growth has been slow. Uh, there's only been two hospitals that have treated more than 2,000 patients in this model, and less than 5% have been granted the CMS waiver. So the reason for the, that gap is essentially uh, you know, several, right? Initially, getting patients to be com- or physicians to be comfortable with understanding that this could be done, so getting them to be aware and accepted of these programs. So even when these programs are implemented at hospitals, a lot of the times when patients present in the ED, the team forgets that this is an option, right? They're waiting for beds to be freed up in the hospital, and they forget there's actually this alternate side of care that's available to them. So that's one issue. The second is that, as Kathleen mentioned, there's a lot of complexities that are uh, required in terms of managing that care model into the patient's home. So there's uh, logistics involved, the resources, and coordination of that care. So a lot of the times, it takes a lot of planning and effort to get this program up and running. And then because this was a new program, there's uncertainty in terms of investing time and resources to make sure these will become sustainable uh, once uh, the public health emergency is over. But there are uh, ways that uh, some health systems now are working around that to make these sustainable. And ultimately, my talk, which is what we heard about today, was um, how how technology is playing a role in making these type of care models feasible and accessible to more patients uh, moving forward. And so some of the challenges that Kathleen touched on, right? So these are... When you're putting together a hospital home program, if you're new, there's a lot of complex issues that you need to solve, right? If you focus just in the green part, right? Uh, identifying patients, figuring out how you are going to deliver the program, how to coordinate the program, then what happens when you transition the patients out? So those are the biggest factors that a lot of health systems have to deal with when they're trying to structure an acute care hospital home program and where a lot of the challenges that uh, it, you know, come into play to stand them up relate to these types of services that you have to plan for. Right? When, a, when a patient is no longer uh, you know, within your four walls of the hospital, you're going to have to manage um, the delivery of care related to uh, the services in the home that you know, Kathleen kind of mentioned, right? twice a day nursing visits, imaging, phlebotomy, everything, meal services, non-emer- non-emergent transportation. So if you think about it, if you're not built from a technology standpoint to coordinate and understand what the needs of the patient are, then it becomes challenging to make sure you're delivering those type of uh, you know, resources when needed by patients into the home. So the, you know, the, the key components that I'm gonna be focusing on today are how do you manage that remote care, care coordination of the patients, and then ultimately how do you manage all the coordination of the supply chain resources that are needed. So starting with the first aspect of this, right? So if you start thinking about your infrastructure, obviously the AMR is gonna be key because a lot of the workflows are based there and then um, understanding what's happening with the patients from a health perspective to then be able to communicate, um, bring in extra resources virtually to manage those patients when it's not necessarily your care team on the ground, but looping in experts and um, the specialty consults that are needed, and then infrastructure in terms of communicating uh, you know, what kind of applications and tools are patients gonna have to actually be able to um, reach out and, and get help when needed or for your care team to communicate. So. Uh, to address any of the uh, gaps in uh, equity, you have to make sure that the technology infrastructure is in place, that you're delivering the components that patients can have as an access to your care team. And then managing inventory and then assigning tasks when needed to the care team members is actually going to be really critical as well. And then where it gets really challenging is outside the EMR, most in-hospital services, like you know when you need meals or pharmacy, it's all there. But outside the hospital that's where a lot of these barriers exist when you're trying to build workflows that are not EMR-centric, but need to leverage resources that are in the community. right? So that's where a lot of these gaps come in place. And if you don't have the right infrastructure, it gets challenging to be able to combine all of these disparate point solutions that exist today. If you go to any place in the market, we saw some of the names on the slide, there's literally hundreds of solutions that solve individual, individually one of these problems. But combined, it's hard to put it all together into a program that's easy to operate and manage. So one of the ways that our, the the way technology is starting to play a role in this area is first understanding what's happening to patients, right? What is the like um, Kathleen mentioned, is the patient wearing it weighing a turkey or is she actually changing weight that's relevant to you clinically? So understanding what's happening by providing the right tools for patients to be able to communicate and collect the right data, and then using that information in a way that helps determine the most important patients that need the, the care that's needed to be delivered to them. So in, in some sort of fashion, that information then has to be processed, right? If you're trying to scale these programs, um, even though up to today, it's been a lot of you know, resource constraints where staffing has been able to provide and overcome some of these gaps and moving forward, because of the constraints now where resources are limited, if you don't have a way of understanding what that data means, uh, and not having a way to interpret that data without having to rely on, on on human resources, it's going to become a bottleneck. So one of the ways you can do that is relying on, uh, you know, the new FDA-cleared, um, uh, the pathway for clearance for software as a medical device. So using tools that show that you can actually take this information and have clinical insights that are uh, FDA-cleared, and able to provide validation for what to do with that data. So the the analytics is a key part of this. So understanding what's happening to patients, having a tool in place that understands or can help interpret that information, and then ultimately make that information actionable to your care teams so they can coordinate all the services that you need to support those patients uh, into the home. So this is essentially the key components that you need to start looking at when you're starting to manage acute patients in the home and any place that you can start to automate or use machine learning or AI tools to help understand which patients need what care and what in what capacity, those are the kind of tools that are going to be effective in helping scale these type of programs. So this is just a quick case study of, of how this could be put in place, right? So if you look at, oh, I don't know if this works. Oh, yeah. So if you look at the top row here, so this is one of the FDA-cleared algorithms that we use where it what you're seeing is, you know, you've heard of remote patient monitoring, right, where you're relying on episodic. Uh, for example, weight data or blood pressure data. What you're looking at here is continuous data from multiple um, wearable devices that are coming into an algorithm that's FDA cleared, and it's creating an index which is a predictive score for potential deterioration in that patient. So this is an early warning system that doesn't require um, cognitive load on your patients that are being monitored by remote patient teams, monitoring teams, so any today when there's an elevated eight, uh, heart rate or respiratory rate, it takes time away for them to go and follow up, like just for, you know, sorry Kathleen, your example with the turkey is perfect, right? Because if you don't have those people to go and follow up, it's not really helping anyone. But at the same time, imagine doing that for 100 patients, right, it just takes time away from the patients that really do need your care. So having systems that are able to predict potential changes that are clinically impacting patients is gonna be key to drive the adoption and scale of these programs. So in this case, the first alert triggered the team reached out and realized it was a medication adherence issue, they were able to resolve that. A Couple days later, uh, another alert triggered and what the team found out this time was that they were probably needing to be seen, so they took them to an outpatient center. And over the next couple days and weeks, the patient stabilized uh, and their health improved. So uh, this is an example of how continuous data can be used effectively. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of you can see this transformation taking place where it was just, you know, what could we do in terms of remote patient monitoring how could we use that data to help, you know, reduce, for example, CHF readmissions using weight data 10 years ago was a key indicator for a potential readmission for heart failure. But now with more complex patients and the shifting of more acute patients into the uh, into the home or outside of the hospital situations, continuous data is starting to become more accepted as a way of uh, not just, you know, pouring information into the EMR or driving information into the clinician's hands, it's more about building tools like this that are helping to make better informed decisions about what's happening to patients. So this tool is actually looking at all these different parameters and by various different disease conditions is giving you an indication of the current uh, potential health state. And, And kind of what's happening behind the scenes here is, right, so if you have individual alerts that are happening in traditional systems, like when you have an elevated heart rate, those are all the alerts that would trigger... So what this system is actually doing is suppressing false alerts that are not clinically relevant for patients because it's looking at underlying things that are impacting the patients, for example, uh, activity, right? So when you have this corresponding increase in heart rate but not necessarily increase in that potential prediction for that algorithm, it's because there's uh, an underlying uh, physiologic changes here which is increased activity that could be impacting the heart rate. Whereas in this example, a couple hours later, There is no underlying so that was a potential real you know pathologic change that was happening that was driving that alert signal to improve so that's kind of a quick kind of an analysis of what's happening under under the hood of how these algorithms work ultimately the shift here is as you advance to these new care models you're going to have to rely on building a tool that helps to capture information from multiple sources allowing you to understand what's happening with that information from a clinical perspective and then drive those to Uh, actions that are being safely delivering care into the home. So thank you.